Welcome to Elaine's Kitchen Table, where we talk about the business of real life. If you're a working mom or a mompreneur, this is where you want to be. This is where we share tips right off Elaine's Kitchen Table about business and parenting. Being a mom of three and wearing multiple hats, from CEO of the award-winning company Easy Daisies Limited to speaker and educator, Elaine knows how valuable your time is, so this podcast is going to be short and sweet. Whether you're tuning in while driving to a meeting, washing dishes, or sitting in the school parking lot waiting to pick up the kids, you're going to learn the tips and secrets of successful and incredible people. Elaine wants you to be inspired, challenged, and motivated to be that successful person you're capable of being and that person you want your kids to grow up to be. This is Real Talk for Real Life. Hi, welcome to Elaine's Kitchen Table. I'm so excited to have you here with us today where we talk about the business of real life. And today we're going to learn about why you need to write a book, how to write a book, and everything about writing a book. And I'm just so excited about our guest today. My guest today is a best-selling book collaborator, an award-winning editor, an expert publishing consultant who loves using her insider knowledge of the publishing industry and the wealth of experience to lead serious authors towards publishing success. I love it. Leveraging her background in Big Five Publishing, she and her team live to help make great books happen, whether that means showing a writer how to improve a manuscript, get an agent or self-publish, or, or ghostwriting a book to help an entrepreneur skyrocket her business platform to new levels, or coaching an author on growing her platform to sell more books. Since 1999, she has supported authors in their publishing journey and takes pride in serving as their book's best ally. I love it. And to find this lovely person, you can come to my show notes and you'll find um, all the notes you need to, to get in contact with our guest. And I want to welcome my guest right now, Allie. Allie, and I'm going to say your last name wrong. I can just feel it. <laughs> Allie Machete. Machete. Machati. So close, so close, Machati, yeah. <laughs> Hi, Ellie, I'm so excited to have you on Elaine's Kitchen Table. Welcome. Thank you, Elaine. I'm so excited to be here. I, I, I said a lot about you because there's just so many great things about you, but did I leave anything out? Is there a gap you want to fill in about yourself? No, no, I think you about covered it. <laughs> Well, I'm very excited to have you here. I, I do have to ask, this is on my mind. You, you help people write books. Have you written a book about you? <laughs> uh, no, I have not written a book about myself. Um, I am working on a couple of books that are based on the presentations that I do. I speak at writers' conferences pretty frequently, um, and I'll be working on publishing those as eBooks first, probably towards the end of the year. But most of the books that I've been a part of, um, I've either been a collaborator in one form or another. Uh, sometimes that's public, sometimes that's a secret, depending on the terms. And then, of course, I run an editorial team. So together, we've worked with hundreds of authors to help them get their books out. That is fabulous. Well, I can't wait to read your book. And <laughs> I, I had to ask because it was just like on my mind and like, you know, <laughs> yeah. so great at helping everybody else write their books. So I, I have to ask, what would you say are those three must haves that you would look for in a person who, who wants to write a book? Like what are those qualities that someone needs to have in order to, to go for it? Yeah. Um, well, you know, 
I think with the emergence of the digital age, social media, all of these things that's going on, it's really completely changed how consumers interact with people who create products. And, and at the end of the day, a book is a product, right? So I'd say the top three must-haves of any successful author really have to be tenacity, um, perseverance, a hunger for learning and growth, um, because there is so much to learn and authors have to be actively engaged both in publishing the book, whether you self-publish or work with a publisher, it doesn't really matter. You're still going to have to be involved in that process. And then of course, marketing it is a never ending effort once a book is out, hopefully a never ending effort, right? Because it keeps selling it and you keep selling it and being out there. Um, so, you know, a hunger for learning and growth and the ability, and I'd say also the willingness to connect with other people. You know, the days uh, where people used to have this mystique about the secluded, shy artist, you know, you just kind of, you're in your hole and you create the book and then you, you send it off to the publisher and the publisher gets it out into the world. You know, you kind of stay, stay quiet in your little bubble. Those days are long gone. Um, like I said, authors really have to be involved in the world and engaged in, in what's going on. So, um, you got to be willing, willing to do that, to connect with people and be out there and be real and authentic. I, I, I love that. And, you know, and actually, I think that's also missing in our digital world right now is, is that personal connection. So I, I love that you brought that as, as something that is a must have and that hunger to keep learning and growing. That is, that is, I think, always key um, in any entrepreneur as well. Now, very key. You had talked about self-publishing and, and getting a book agent. What would you say are the pros and cons of self-publishing? Hmm. Even if you gave me like you know, two for each, like two pros for self-publishing or and two cons, perhaps. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, first of all, I just want to be clear. You know, I do have a background in big publishing. I used to work at Simon & Schuster. I come from that world. I'm still involved in that world. Um, we, you know, we work with a lot of clients who are hoping to get that agent and book deal situation just as often as we're working with clients who decide to self-publish. And I'm a big fan of self-publishing. Um, but what I like to tell people is that I'm a fan of self-publishing done right. And by that, I mean, there's a big difference between putting up a, a file together and uploading it and having it available for sale in 24 hours and saying, I published a book versus going through a true publishing process, working with an editor, perfecting your content, getting a great cover, getting a great interior layout, creating a marketing plan, creating a distribution strategy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the pros and cons, I think, really kind of come out of that. So, you know, pros, when you self-publish a book, you have complete control. It's very entrepreneurial. Um, in fact, I often describe it as starting a new business. You know, a book isn't just sort of this isolated thing. It, it is like, in fact, starting a whole new business where the book is the product. Speed is also really um, an important factor for a lot of people who self-publish. If you have um, something you're writing about is very timely, like maybe it's been in the news a lot, or perhaps you have some huge opportunity coming up. I get a lot of clients who contact me in a panic because they've just been invited to speak at some super big conference and they want to have a book for sale and they don't have one yet. Um, you know, a publisher, it can take 
a year, typically sometimes more to produce a book with self-publishing. You can have one done almost as quickly as you can move. What? Flexibility. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, flexibility and, and income. You know, again, you also get to keep everything that you earn with a book. And there's so much that you can do with a book beyond the sale of the book itself when you have a business. A book can get you speaking engagements. It can get you bigger clients. It can get you exposure. So all of those things are super awesome about self-publishing. Cons, interestingly enough, I think the cons list overlaps the pros list. For example, yes, it can be a pro that you have complete control, but it can also be a con that you have complete control because at the end of the day, if you don't actually know what you're doing and you haven't spent the time to educate yourself properly and learn what you should be doing, um, then what good does control do you? You know, you want the person behind the driver's wheel to know how to drive and to know how to operate a car and to understand the the road signals and to have a map and understand where you're trying to get to. If those things aren't in place, the control can actually be a really bad thing. Um, same thing with speed. I think a lot of people who self-publish and are heartbroken at the results and, and you know, don't do it right. Um, is because it's so easy and it can be so fast to self-publish a book these days, especially if you do an ebook only, mm-hmm. that it almost allows for people to skip really important steps that they wouldn't if there were more barriers in place and if they were forced to slow down. Um, the speed with which people are able to self-publish encourages impatience. Um, it encourages people to make emotional decisions instead of researched and logical decisions. Um, as you know, as an entrepreneur, Elaine, that can be a really bad thing. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think those are some of the biggest things. You know, other cons might involve things like it simply being a smaller scale, a lack of relationships or a lack of reach um, compared to working with a publisher. No, I, I, I really like how you compared it to... Uh, starting a new business and and it's it's so true i think you know when people think oh i can write my own book and publish it like an essay but with all those steps like you mentioned that from having a, a, that true publishing content and creating a marketing plan and a distribution plan and and that i think is is how you would have a very successful book if you did actually go through all the steps thank you for pointing that out it's a great uh great aha moment of just awareness of, of, of that process that it takes to create that plan. Yeah. I think the rate, I think the best way to think about it in a nutshell is the difference between printing a book and publishing a book. Oh. How would you, how would you define that difference then of printing a book? Um, well, you know, and, and I'll, I'll use the term printing loosely because, you know, I'm really talking about digital as well. But by that, I mean the difference between simply putting together some material in a form that one would consider a book and making it available for sale and just floating it out there versus publishing a book, which is where you step into the role of publisher and you coordinate all of those different things that we talked about. Okay. So then... For for those of us who don't know what a book agent is, what what, what is a book agent? Mm, good question. Um, so a book agent, also known as a literary agent, is somebody that represents you and works on your behalf 
um, sort of like a go-between between you and book publishers. So the agent is the person who shops your project around to different editors at different houses and hopefully gets someone interested in wanting to make an offer on the book. If that happens and the publisher says, yes, we want to do this, the agent um, then continues in the process by negotiating the contract and negotiating the different terms for you. And in an ideal scenario, um, once the contract is signed and the project is underway, your agent is somebody who remains in your corner. Uh, if you ever have any problems with your editor, if there's anything that you think is fishy with the publisher, if they're not reporting information to you properly, if you have questions and you're not getting answers, um, the agent should always be the person who steps forth to protect you and, and help you out. They're kind of like a manager and a lawyer wrapped into one. No, that's perfect. So if you were to find a book agent, does that mean you are basically self-publishing your book and then this agent acts as your mediator or does the agent help you from start to finish? No, the agent is only involved in the sale of your book project to a publisher. So if you were self-publishing, you wouldn't need an agent at all. It's really for the people who want to get that book deal with an established publisher. And they generally don't get involved in creating the book, although, of course, we're all in the same business. You know, I know lots of agents. They know me. They'll frequently send clients my way because they know they have a great idea or they have a wonderful platform, um, but they need help writing the book or they need someone to help them uh, write a proposal or, or some aspect of the process. So, Allie, with your company then, would you not only help uh, the, the entrepreneur, the individual write their book, but also act as the agent? I don't act as an agent. Um, I have been asked many times <laughs> by clients if I would be their agent, um, but it's it's really just not something that I'm interested in doing. And it's really a very big job. You know, sometimes people, um, especially now that self-publishing is such a, a viable option, sometimes people think of an agent and and just for those who don't know, it's industry standard for a literary agent to take 15% of whatever uh, your book makes. So if you get an advance, if you earn royalties, if you have licensing deals, the agent usually takes 15%. That's sort of how it works. You don't pay them up front. Um, they only get paid if they manage to get you that deal. Okay. And some people sort of chafe at that. They're like, well, why, you know, I wrote this thing. I'm, I'm the one doing all the work. All this person did was make a few phone calls and, you know, read over a contract. Why am I giving them 15%? Mm -hmm. um, and the reason is that agents really are a very important part of the process and they do a lot of the work. You are giving them 15% in part for their experience in the industry. Um, knowing which, yeah, like their connections is really important. You know, they're not just sending emails to people at random. They've nurtured a network of people, uh, publishers who specialize in your type of book, editors who are specializing in your type of book. And a good agent is going to know when they look at your book project, they should already immediately think, oh, I can think of 10 people off the top of my head that would totally love a book like this. Um, so those relationships are really very, very important. And, and that's a big part of what an agent brings to the table. Oh, but of course, it's also understanding the industry. You know, they're negotiating a contract for you. That's, that's pretty heavy legal stuff. So that's really important too. So if someone was to go find an agent, what would you recommend that first step to be? Well, um, 
if you have decided that you want to go the quote unquote traditional route and find a book publisher um, and have a, have a deal and get that agent first, I would say the place to start is really perfecting your submission package. So one thing that a lot of people don't know when they first start thinking about books is that not all books go through the same kind of process. If you're writing a novel or a memoir or a collection of essays even, you almost always have to have a completed manuscript. So you have to be finished with the book. When you're writing prescriptive nonfiction, however, so a health book, a business book, a how-to book, a self-help book, most of those books are actually sold on the strength of a book proposal, not a completed manuscript. So you want to really get clear about what kind of book you want to write and do a little bit of education to figure out what it is you need to be creating as your submission package. Um, and you really want to make sure you don't put the cart before the horse. So I say people all the time, they're always worried about how do I publish the book? How do I publish the book? And I say, look, take a step back, take a breath. Don't even bother thinking about agents until your material is like 110% amazing. Because if you don't have an awesome concept and a strong book proposal or a really well executed complete manuscript, if you're writing you know, creative nonfiction, that kind of narrative or a novel or something, um, then it's like you're doing everything backwards. It has to be the very best you can possibly make it before you even start sending it to agents. So start with the content and the material. That is great information. Thank you. I think people are writing all that down right now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, Ali, I have to ask, and I know you started telling us a little bit about how you even got into this. How, how did you get to this point where you started this as your business? I'm sorry, say it again. How did I get to starting my business? Yes, because it, it, you have so much experience, and I know that you and I talked um, beforehand about how you got to this point. How did you start your Oh, yeah. Um, well, I, I think part of it is that anyone who knows me would tell you that I've always been sort of an entrepreneurial person. You know, even as a kid, I would like start little mini businesses, or I would dream about the businesses that I would start one day. Um, but I've also always really loved books. I learned to read very young. I was always a writer. I was the kid who was like the editor of the school paper. I was freelancing for pay for websites in college. Um, you know, so I, I always loved the written word and I always knew I wanted to work with books. But I started my business because after being at Simon & Schuster for several years and after being in the industry, I started to get a better sense of what it was that I personally really loved doing. And when you get a big publisher, a lot of time is spent on things that are not working with the author or working with the content, right? You've got meetings and administrative stuff and networking and all of these kinds of things. Um, I just, I really felt that there were more people out there that had incredible stories to tell or really strong messages and programs and systems that would help people change lives. Um, at Simon & Schuster, I worked in a department that did a lot of self-help, how-to, health, business, all that kind of stuff. I love those kinds of books. I'm the kind of person who goes and buys a book when I have a problem or I need to learn something. And I know other people do too. So um, I really started the business as a way to do more of things that I loved, which was working with authors to really 
perfect and clarify their ideas and make their stories really engaging or make their messages really strong and clear, you know, whatever kind of book it is. And um, I started to specialize as a ghostwriter and a collaborator um, because I found that it was really fulfilling to me. Mm. I like to tell people I, I help people help other people. I you know, so if you're someone who, yeah, if you're someone who's got a great message or something that can help change other people's lives, I'm the person you come to to help you get that into a book so you can reach exponentially more people than you would have before. I am so excited. I, I know so many people who need you and probably including, <laughs> probably including me. Now, I have to ask, why would someone want to get a ghostwriter? What, like, why would they do that? I mean, besides the obvious of people saying, I just don't have time to write a book. Is, is that part of a reason someone comes to a ghostwriter? Oh, yeah, that's a big part of it for sure. Um, I would say, you know, among the top reasons that people tend to reach out to me, definitely having no time to write one, uh, especially because I specialize in prescriptive nonfiction. Many of my clients are business owners and experts. Um, they're running a business. You know, they want the book because they see that the book brings a lot of value to the business and it opens doors and establishes them as an expert, but they're running a business. They don't have time to write a book. That's definitely one main reason to work with a ghostwriter. Um, I also have a lot of people who know they want a book, but they're not really clear on what it should be exactly. So they need help conceptualizing and, and mapping out the book itself. Um, and I also sometimes have people, I, I've had clients who have written books. And they are perfectly capable of writing it themselves. Um, but they just don't want to. You know, they're, they're doing other things, right? Like, um, and then, of course, there are people who don't have the ability, people who have great ideas, they're super smart, they're excellent at what they do, you know, couldn't string together, you know, more than 50 words to save their life. No, I, it all makes sense. I, I think that's awesome. And it must be challenging, though, to be a ghostwriter because you'd have to adapt that person's voice, I would guess. And uh, by by voice, I mean their personality and their their I guess their way they, their style. Is is that hard to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that, that is definitely. Yeah, no, that's a great question. That is absolutely a big part of what it means to be a ghostwriter and a collaborator. I mean, you know, whether it's truly a confidential project and you're really a ghostwriter and no one knows you wrote the book, or sometimes you're, um, if you ever look at a book cover, you see sometimes in tiny print under the author's name, there's a with, right? So it's so-and-so with Jane Smith. Um, that's the book collaborator. The with credit is the collaborator. So even in that situation, the person who's writing the book, you're always trying to help the primary author, the expert, get their expertise out of their head and onto the page. And you want it to reflect their voice. Absolutely. Um, so it is challenging. And it is one of the things that a professional ghostwriter brings to the table. I'm not writing the book in my voice. I'm writing it in your voice. Um, and it, it takes some time. There are different techniques. You know, I, I have my own system for doing that, but um, but it's absolutely part of the process. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, I can't imagine how challenging that would be. Like I, I have three small businesses and, and uh, I think what made me cringe when I started another business was, Oh no, another Facebook page. Oh no, another Twitter handle. And, and that's <laughs> Ball writing. I'm like talking 140 characters, but but it's still <laughs> funny when I I have 
uh, some social media help and uh, uh, one of my staff will write for me on Facebook posts. But yet mm -hmm. my, my followers, my awesome, wonderful followers can tell the difference when I'm not the one. Yeah. And um, it's, and they'll actually comment that in, in the, on, on the post itself when I come on and they'll say, this is why we are on here or, or they'll tag their friends and say, this is the post you need to read because this is, this is her. This is why, um, which is scary at the same time because they can tell just by, I guess your personality shines through and, and how you speak. And I, I, I applaud you as a ghostwriter because that's hard. <laughs> that's awesome. Now I want to ask you, um, have you ever turned away a book proposal? If someone said, Ali, I want to hire you to help me write. Have you ever took a, uh, took a look at the book or, or, or I guess what is presented and you, have you ever had to turn away someone? Yeah, um, it does. It doesn't happen very often. Um, you know, I'm very clear about what I specialize in and what I do. Like, I haven't, um, if somebody were to come to me with, let's say, uh, and actually, this has happened, just not for a very long time. Um, I have a great idea for a novel. I have a, you know, an awesome idea. It's I got the whole series mapped out. I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm just, I don't have time and I'm not a good writer. I need someone to write the book. I don't do that. I don't ghostwrite fiction. I don't ghostwrite memoir. I ghostwrite prescriptive nonfiction. So I'm very, very clear about my specialty. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one reason why I would turn someone, someone away. Why I, I have, as I said, it happened, I think maybe once or twice a very long time ago, but, um, but that has happened. And then one other case I can tell you about, a little more recently, I was a prescriptive nonfiction book. It was a business book. Um, but the gentleman in question was very married to his idea. And he was very, very adamant about the book that he wanted to write. And he wanted to have a collaborator to help him get the book published because he had dreams of getting a really big book deal and working with a big publisher. And, you know, he really knew that he didn't have the experience uh, or the connections to make that happen. But um, to, to be blunt, his idea was terrible. I mean, it just, it wasn't the right book. Um, it wasn't going to get him the goals, you know, he, I'm very goal oriented with my clients. So, you know, when yes. you're dealing with people in business and they want to write a book, I think it's very, very important to be clear about what you want that book to do for you. Because, um, you know, just because you've always wanted to tell your life story doesn't mean that a memoir is going to get you more clients right. or, uh, you know, it, it may, if you really want to be the go-to expert on, you know, I don't know, quantum mechanics, writing your personal story about being bullied in third grade isn't going to get you there. It's not going to establish you as that expert. So it's really important to have a clear sense of what you want the book to do for you and what your goals are. And if I feel like I'm talking to somebody and they're very immovable in what 
book they want to write emotionally and they they don't take my advice about how it's not lining up with their goals. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't want to get involved. I, I know they're going to be disappointed. You know, a misalignment between expectations and outcomes, I think, is one of the biggest reasons why people are very unhappy when they work with any kind of service professional. Oh, and I just don't want to be in that boat. <laughs> you know, That is brilliant. I, I, I really respect that. I I think that's a, a very realistic um, reason to, to turn down a book because if yeah. I thank you for sharing that. I, I fully respect that. I have to ask you then, what is the best lesson in business that you have learned either from a mentor or in your own journey that makes you who you are today, Allie? Mm, that's such a good question. There's so many things I have learned so, so much. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you would say the same. The entrepreneurial journey is just a constant learning experience, which is why it's really so much fun, honestly. <laughs> it's um, like a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, roller coaster. It's exciting and challenging. Um, gosh, I would say the thing that springs to mind when you ask me that um, is learning learning what to say yes to and learning what to say no to. Hmm. Um, and I think that's more than just what projects you accept. I also think it's about things like how you present yourself in social media, what kind of places you might be active, who you network with, who you build relationships with, what opportunities you accept, you know, what kind of um, marketing efforts, you put forth to market your own business because there's just so many choices now. I mean, the world is really your oyster when you're a business owner today. The internet has just completely opened up everything. You can do so, so much and you can totally make yourself insane if you try to do everything. Yes. So how did you create a solution to this challenge of learning how to say yes and no to the right situation or opportunity uh, besides having that well, shaking ball that says yes or no <laughs> you joke about that but i actually do have a little doohickey on my desk i love it um, <laughs> it's, it's got a little more options than that when it says yes maybe definitely no way try again and ask a friend <laughs> i actually do have one of those. I, I love it i love it i love it <laughs> <laughs> um, but seriously, I mean, I, I think it started when I first decided to specialize. So when I first started in the business, um, I was blessed to have the opportunity at Simon & Schuster to work on, on almost every type of book. Not for every audience. I didn't do children's. Um, we, we worked specifically with adult books, but it was, it was a pretty broad spectrum, fiction, memoir, nonfiction, all of that. So I had the experience, and when I first started out, I was willing to work on any type of book. And I loved it. I do like working on fiction and memoir and all that stuff. But as time went by, I realized that to build a successful business, it's better to be narrow and deep in your expertise and then bring in other people who are the same in complementary areas. That's where my team started to grow. Um, so when I first made that decision to draw that line in the sand, and I said, you know what? Um, I'm not doing fiction or memoir anymore. I love reading it. I write some fiction. It's just, it's not something I want to do editorially. I don't, I don't want to work with those authors in that way. I'm going to bring somebody onto the team who loves working on fiction and memoir as much as I love working on self-help and prescriptive nonfiction. 
Um, so when you draw a line in the sand, that makes it a little bit easier. So now I know very clearly somebody asks me to edit their novel, I can say no. And I can tell you, you know, well, I have this other person on my team who's super awesome at editing fiction mm-hmm. and they can help you. Um, so making those decisions about specialization, I think, is is part of it. And it's like what you're really good at and also what you really love, what you're really passionate about. I think it's important to to know that and that helps guide you. And I think that's I think the one other thing that uh, that helped me the most. Um, I had a friend who was a life coach. He wasn't my life coach, but um, he had that experience. And he said to me once, you know, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. That's right. And that's really. Uh, I actually had that on a post-it note on my computer for a number of years as a constant reminder to try to rein me in from saying yes to too much. It's a cost. If you say yes to one thing that you don't really love or that you're not really good at or that it's going to take you, you know, a lot of time to do, um, it means you're saying no to something you might enjoy more or that might be more lucrative or, or might be better for you in some other way. That's an excellent gem right there to, to be fully invested in what you're going to commit to, to say yes only to that, which you feel like aligns with your core values, your interests, uh, the interests of your goals, like, and I, I, I really like that quote. It should be on a mug or a t-shirt <laughs> or a post-it. <laughs> yeah. But I, I also love what you said about, about narrowing your, or picking your specialization that, you know, that it should be narrow and deep. I, I really love how you worded that because it's so easy to spread yourself thinly and do not a very good job at many things. But when you focus and do a really, really decent, wonderful job at something that is going to be contagious. And, and I, I really liked how you pointed that out. Thank you. So Ali, I'm going to ask you one final question and I apologize because I, I could talk to you forever because I am <laughs> learning so much from what you're saying. But I want to fun. I want to know because I, I'm all about establishing good habits with, with my children's product about easy daisies and creating good habits for kids. What, what, what are your top three habits in maintaining success in your business that you could share with our listeners? Mm, top three habits. Excellent question. <laughs> top three habits. Um, well, I would say one thing that I've learned uh, that was very hard but has proved to be maybe one of the best habits uh, is to never check my email first thing in the morning. Wow. That's hard. That's a good one. Very hard. <laughs> very, very hard. Um, I, learned a lo- I learned a long time ago, a few years ago. Uh, I was very into productivity. You know, the business was growing. I needed to get more out of my time. And um, I can't even remember where I read it. Uh, Definitely not my idea. And it's probably pretty common to your listeners. But, you know, email just sucks your life away. Like, you can answer a couple emails, and next thing you know, your whole day is gone, and you haven't done any of the things you wanted to do. You just spent all day responding to emails and um, basically letting other people dictate your agenda. So mm-hmm. I never check email first thing in the morning. I always make sure I get some of my important things done first. That's one really important habit. Um, another really important habit, I think, is, yeah, um, I'm in the habit of being consistent with things 
I think that that's another really important habit, and I'm I'm always trying to get better at it. I certainly go through phases where I'm not very consistent and not very good at it. Um, but I think consistency in almost everything that you do, whether it's posting to social media or sending out emails to your list or you know following up with clients or following up with teammates, whatever it is, consistency. So and sometimes makes a difference. Like that's that's really the secret sauce. You know, you can be amazing at something, but if you're totally inconsistent and unreliable and people can't count on you, they're gonna go with the person who's consistent and reliable every time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean that you're absolutely right. That's a secret sauce in so many successful businesses. Because consistency is that predictability, people feel safe and you get your return customers. And I'm even thinking of things like McDonald's, right? You know that if you go to a different country, that McDonald's is most likely going to be like McDonald's from your hometown. And people, it's just a a consistency, a familiarity, a a safety network, I think. And and that's definitely a secret sauce. Yeah. And it also has to do with the results that you get. So like, you know, I mentioned social media posting, mm-hmm. um, you know, I talk, I, I deal with a lot of authors and we talk about how they can build their audience and we'll talk about things like social media and blogging. And so often people will tell me, Oh yeah, I tried blogging or I used to use Facebook, but it just seemed like a huge waste of time. I didn't get it. I didn't really like it. It didn't get me anywhere. And then I dig a little deeper and I find out that their quote unquote blogging was you know, they wrote a couple blog posts, then they got bored and didn't write anything for a few months, then they wrote another post, then they didn't, then they wrote, you know, it was totally inconsistent. And the reality is, if you're not consistent about things like that, you will never see returns on your efforts. Mm -hmm. You have to be consistent, you have to be, you know, you you can't just say, oh, I'm going to start a blog, and then blog once or twice every few months. You have to blog. Whatever the schedule is you commit to, you have to blog on that schedule. You can't just say, oh, I opened a Facebook page and nobody liked it and nobody's listening and this is a waste of my time. You have to be posting to that page several times a day, every day, every week, every month, all year, um, before you can make the decision about truly whether or not that effort is right for you. No, I, I love it. I love I love that you shared these two great habits that one, never check your emails in the first thing in the morning. I'm, I'm going to try that. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> Good, yeah, yeah, I do. And number two, I love be consistent with all things. That is brilliant. Allie, I want to say thank you so much for being on our podcast today. And I, I know for a fact that I learned so much and I know our listeners did. And if so our listeners want to find you right away. How can they find you right now? Is there an email or a website that you'd like to share right now? It'll be in my show notes as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, if, if you are in the situation where you are, someone wants to write a prescriptive nonfiction book and you're looking for a collaborator or you're looking for some guidance on that, uh, go to allymachate.com, A-L-L-Y-M-A-C-H-A-T-E.com. And if you are a novelist or memoirist, or if you've already written a prescriptive nonfiction manuscript and uh, or a proposal and you need editorial help as opposed to someone to help you write it, then go to thewritersally.com. Fabulous. Fabulous. Allie, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you so much for having me. It was really my pleasure. 
And to our listeners, thank you so much for, for being a part of this show. And I love hearing from you. So please do find me on Twitter at Chat with Elaine or on Facebook at Elaine's Kitchen Table. And thank you so much for tuning in. And we will talk to you soon. Bye for now. Allie, say bye. Bye.